Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God and Independent RPG Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Yay, Kat is back. I actually arranged for the Blue Jays to totally blow it for a gift for you. You're welcome. What a wonderful get well present. Thank you Wasn't so much, though? Nadia. Oh, you're I'm so like, You're just like my best friend. Oh my God. Yeah, I know, right? Sorry, wow. Toronto, but I had to do it. Also joining me, my equally lovely co-host and also my best friend, Eric Van Allen. I'm just happy we're all back together again. You know, it's been forever and Nadia almost managed to convince the listeners of Blood God that, that we should both be fired. But, you know, we got <laughs> I, through it. I, I don't and we're have back, the energy baby. to carry a whole podcast on itself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're all back. And we are here to share our final thoughts on Baldur's Gate 3. I went away for three weeks into the altar of the Blood God, the Blood God Shrine. And I basically mm. spent all that time Playing Baldur's Gate 3, I'm done. I have rolled credits and I have some nice. thoughts. So we're going to sit here and we are going to talk about it. Don't worry, though. We're going to try and keep spoilers to a minimum. We'll be talking at a fairly high level about Act 3, but there will be, um, I would say, some discussion points about the overall plot and stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, spoiler warnings, uh, mango. Let, let's say that. Um, that's a good that's a good color spoiler yeah, warnings good... i thought that was a specific warning to mango our <laughs> discord spoiler. mango look out spoilers in this for one. <laughs> spoiler warning chartreuse <laughs> but before we get to that if you enjoy the podcast hey why don't you leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice you can follow me on twitter at the underscore catbot though i haven't been on twitter for like three weeks so you're not going to get much you also can follow Nadia at Nadia Oxford and Eric at C. Lucy. We're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. We just posted our latest Pantheon of the Blood God episode. It's a Nadia special, and we covered Breath of Fire 3. And it sounds like y'all went off and had a great time. Yeah, uh, we had a great time with that. And I had to take that into consideration, too, when talking. I won't say what where it ended up in the Pantheon or if it did or not, but I will say, like, I had to think about how, despite this game's flaws, I just had a great time for two hours talking to uh, our guests about the the game. And I realized, you know, maybe that's the essence of an RPG, isn't it? To just kind of have that that campfire gab. And Breath of Fire 3 definitely, like, with its flaws, supplies a lot of that. So, yeah, we took everything into consideration and had a great talk. Excellent. Well, you can go check that out. It's available now to our patrons and our next... Acts of the Blood God, Pantheon of the Blood God. It's, it's a spooky one. Castlevania, Symphony of the Night. We're back to the RPG adjacent. The, it's, it's, it's RPG-ish. It it's has numbers, RPG. it has stats, it's, it's, it has gear. I, I said this in the Discord. It is more of an RPG than Zelda is. It is it way is. more of an RPG than Zelda oh, is. Yeah, On the sliding scale, sure. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the sliding scale. So go... Check all of that. Okay, let's get to the first topic of this episode, our final thoughts on Baldur's Gate 3. I have rolled credits. I'm all done. I'm kind of grateful to be done. Y'all have that feeling when you're playing yes. a, like a 100-hour RPG yes. and mm-hmm. you finally get to the credits and you're like, thank God, I loved that, but I am just, I'm so happy to be free so I can play something else now. Yeah, for uh, sure. Absolutely. And it, it like, again, we're not we're not talking spoilers, but I'm just going to say like act three is kind of the place where that game 
resolves every thread that you have built up over the course of it so by the end of it i was feeling like emotionally spent by just how every single one of these plot lines had had their big moment and there were so many big reveals and i love all of them they're really really good uh but man it's like like that last act i always get confused when people are like oh act three is like you don't even go to the full city and like the act three already has so much in it like huge yeah oh my god uh, you do so much in that last act and it's all like very like high emotional stakes for your party and for the plot and i just yeah by the time credits rolled i was like oh okay breathe good i am still a new file (laughs) you're still in act two yeah uh i'll tell you exactly where i am actually so that we know exactly where to uh be careful about spoilers and whatnot uh i am i'm like 25 hours into the game and i feel like i haven't really left the tutorial era because i'm just kind of doing everything i can think of in the Hmm. you know the the area where you start off on with all the like you know smaller towns and whatnot and I'm kind of in a rock and a hard place because it's like, okay, it's time to move on to Moonrise Tower. And that's, I know that's probably baby area compared to where you guys were, but uh, you have like different ways to get there. You have the Underdark. Oh, you're still in Act One. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought, okay. That's Act One. You <laughs> haven't gone, to, you haven't gone through the Underdark or the Mountain Pass yet? That's what I'm trying to get to because number one, the Underdark, uh, a certain thing, a certain boss gets you, and I just got freaking demolished and I realized, mm. okay, I, I think I know what to do if I want to go back that way, but I decided I'm going to go on the mountain path. And then, of course, you have the Gith who are, are like uh, shooting me the full of arrows. Slaps the mountain pass is so good. Yeah, yeah. I want to go that way, but both um, are good. I'm just trying to get her. Basically, with Baldur's Gate three, you have to think about a lot of your encounters. I'm trying to think mm-hmm. about okay, how do I get past these assholes that have Misty Step? So I, I'm working on that. And um, if you ever want to like level any general tips for noobs, because I'm still quite new at the whole Baldur's Gate sort of gameplay loop i'm not a huge until now like it's a great game like uh, i'm not really big to larian's game so uh yeah anything you guys want to kind of throw my way is totally cool rogues are overpowered rogues are really good if you if you build them right Uh, especially if you start multi-classing you start doing some really nasty stuff you can Uh, really abuse you can really abuse the extra attacks plus uh like gloomstalker ranger is very good actually and mm, being able mm-hmm. to get a critical hit on like your first turn and rolling early, early initiative, very, yeah. very strong. Um, I'm curious. Uh, I, I can't really say my full party because there's spoilers in there, but I did have a druid. And I've heard people say druids are not that are not that great. Like they're a little too they're they're sort of a you know, master of every, they do everything, but they're the master mm-hmm. of none. Yes, but they turn Jack into bears. Trades. Yeah. But at the same time, like this druid that I had, they were so good at crowd control. And also in a pinch, I could turn them into an owl bear and go eat people's heads. Yeah. So I got the baby owl bear. I did that. I got, you got the, the baby owl bear. Okay. Yeah. Here's the deal with the owl bear. I went, saw owl bear mama. And I almost killed it. And then I saw baby owl bear. I'm like, oh well, crap! I can't leave this baby owl bear without a mom. And so I left. Oh, okay. I was going. I wasn't sure what to do, so I used an, a potion of animal speaking. And she was like, "I hate you. I'm going to kill you." I'm like, "Oh shit!" So <laughs> I wasted a potion, and she's going to kill me. So I had to kill her, unfortunately. But like baby, I just uh, baby, baby starts eating mama once she's dead. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to mm-hmm. leave and uh, come back later or whatever. 
And I was in the goblin camp and just mm-hmm. kind of, I'd already done that part of the game, but I wanted to go back and shoot some goblins. And the owlbear's there, like being tormented by some knoll or something. I'm like, oh, poor little owlbear. So I freed it. And it, it, then it kind of started to visit me at camp and I was nice to it and it stayed around. When you yes, get you- to act two, I, there's something I wanted to tell you to make sure you do just so you you get it in act two but yeah that's that's like one of those examples of like really little things that start to carry throughout the entire game that's like really really cool and what makes Baldur's Gate 3 really really cool that's kind of thing you know we're talking about worrying about spoilers but I think each of us have like a really different way of getting to this game that you just kind of it's it's there's so many possibilities that's hard to spoil things except for major story turning points maybe there's there's certain stuff that you hit a point and like things will happen and there might be different outcomes, but there are like very specific things that happen that are set in stone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I've gotten that impression. It actually reminds me a lot of Elden Ring in that regard, where you had these big areas to F around and like a million quests to do. But there was always that bottleneck where it's like, OK, you had fun. If you want to move on to the next part, uh, get past this jerk who's really huge and violent. Yeah. And you can do that in a couple ways where you are. So, and if you head into the mountain pass and it says, oh, you wrap up what you were doing in act one yeah. because you're moving on, you can come back. So mm-hmm. chill out about that. Um, mm-hmm. I did never do the hag quest. I missed that I started one. and I got demolished because there's poison heard, everywhere. So it's hard. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I so it's not just you. I got through part of it i got the hag herself it's just like there's poison everywhere i don't really have any potions of poison resistance i can't find any and i don't know if there's a spell i can use to you know i know I, there are spells like poison resistance for single people but i don't know if it's for multiple people so i was like uh you know what i'm out i'm the the hot tip i'm going to give you is that the hags the hags power as you have seen up to that point is in making you see things that that yeah. are not as they are. And so I'm not telling you there's not poison. I'm just telling you that there's a trick to that that might help you ah. overcome said poison. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing is that this game is so like it's interactive in a way that video games typically aren't and i mm-hmm. you know as i've been playing other rpgs because you know i've dabbled in starfield and and went back to cyberpunk and obviously was playing like octopath and and all that kind of stuff i've played a lot of rpgs this year yeah no kidding uh, and i'm always amazed by the amount that larian lets the player just do the thing in any way that they want to with whatever verbs they have at their disposal they can employ them and go do stuff and put you know stack things there was one section of a game where i was trying to get into a warehouse to sneak in there to to help out the workers inside and i could have stormed the front gate or found a way around but instead i stacked up boxes and and like (laughs) hopped up them to get onto the roof and that was valid. That was allowed. Yeah. There was even like a hatch open on the side that was like, here, hop in here. And it's like, oh, they thought of somebody being as stupid as I am <laughs> and mm-hmm. accounted for that. Uh, and it's it really is just that kind of game in a way that kind of boggles my mind every time I boot it up. It's it's bizarre. I, I will say that. I did not like that area. I did not like that whole fight. Oh, it's so much fun. I, I, 
Well, it's a multi-stage fight. It's yeah, very it long and exhausting. Mm-hmm. And they I'm trying to save all the dang workers and they all oh, die. No, they they all die. They oh, <laughs> oh. they're dead. You know, so you're finally, not saving. You know, finally I just got there. bored and I was like, no, screw it, screw it. I, I've got I've got another solution. I took that solution, so I just snuck all the way through the whole dang fight and then mm. did it. So mm-hmm. um so some interesting okay, so now so I got to act three. No, no spoilers on this one, except to say that you get to the city of Baldur's Gate, the titular Baldur's city. Baldur's Gate is in Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate is Come in on. Baldur's Gate. Oh my god. You get to the titular city. I do think it's interesting that you start in the very outskirts and then you continually get closer to it until you finally yeah, arrive. Yeah, I like that. That's kind of neat. Baldur's Gate feels huge and overwhelming to start. Mm. There's so much happening. And then the game starts multiple ticking clocks on you, except it's a lie. They're not actually ticking clocks. So you're sitting here panicking going, but what if I... What if I like long rest? Is like this going to happen? Is that going to happen? Am I going to like lose somebody? And then so I think that this game's weird time mechanics can kind of get in its way at times because you're not entirely sure what the stakes are. And then you figure out just like, oh, it's not actually a ticking clock. And then you can just go do your stuff. Right. And then there's so many. And it dumps so many quests on you at once. And the city itself is so enormous that it's just, it gets to feel like a lot when you get to Act 3. I will say that much. Mm, Yeah. It is definitely a game I like. Like, I played Zelda straight through. I just basically did not stop. Baldur's Gate 3, interestingly, is very much designed like a a tabletop RPG where it feels like every quest and every subquest is a module, a story of its own. Yeah. And once you're done fighting the stupid-ass spiders who poison the shit out of you, that's done. You can, like, do whatever you want. It feels like a good time to kind of have that downtime to rest. And that's why I think Act 1 is taking me so long because uh, getting used to the fighting and every fight, I take a long time just kind of, you know, collect my collect myself, look at my loot, and, and learn about what works and what doesn't. Because, again, this is a whole rule set I'm not used to. But I am learning. I, I definitely agree that Act 3 has some weird... So there are actual clocks that will have consequences in Baldur's Gate 3, but they're the game makes it seem like there are more than there actually are. Uh, I can only think of maybe two or three off the top of my head that will actually, you know, if you long rest enough, you will create some sort of problem or, or have something happen. Uh, Otherwise, the one thing I do like a lot about Baldur's Gate three that I wish other games would kind of take after is it just immediately gives you a task and a compelling reason to be moving forward mm-hmm. at all times. I, I, again, I promise I'm not just going to spend this whole podcast being like Baldur's Gate three versus Starfield. But that was something that I noticed when I was playing Starfield was it immediately like just says, you're the specialist boy go off on your, your trip through the stars, take the keys to my car and go hang out with my friends. <laughs> room, was, it was, it was like a very strange intro to me. And then like what emphasized that was playing cyberpunk again after that and, and be like, Oh, right. They shove Keanu Reeves into your head. And they're like, you should probably get Keanu Reeves out of your head. And I was like, that's not exactly the tadpole thing, but it's a, compelling reason to want to keep moving forward as a character yeah. as opposed whereas, to you're a minor 
Oh, you just had a vision. Oh, you have a starship. Okay, you're in the stars now. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, where where the game almost seems afraid to put anything too pressing in front of you because then you might not explore and find all the stuff that they want you to find. But Baldur's Gate 3, I, I think, is honestly one of the most impressively laid out games I've ever played because Act 1, there's all these different quests and stories and ideas just perfectly laid out across this map where you're going to naturally stumble across all of them as you go. And then act two, I think is absolutely brilliant with this idea they have of the shadow cursed lands and how you kind of have to gradually gain tiered access to go deeper into it because of the curse that affects the lands. And you're kind of constantly dealing with those things and finding ways to solve them. And obviously act three has its own things that you deal with, but I, I'm always we're... impressed by that, the way they lay out all their levels and their maps to put those stories there. As long as we're talking about Act 2, there's a lot of conversation about a certain moment that happens in Act 2 that a lot of people see as an example of just the downside of being bad is too great. Mm. And I, I like ponder that a lot. And... I kind of wouldn't mind playing a Baldur's Gate 3, effectively a Nuzlocke run, like a, a permadeath run. Oh, yeah. Now where talking. I just accept all of the, the roles, accept character deaths as they happen. Uh, there could be times where your character's just dying the stupidest ways, and you're just like, oh, well, they I just got, got shoved yeah. off a cliff. It's funny. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah, that's the end I've of that. shoved off Rip. cliffs by goblins and shit. And I, mm-hmm. like, that is annoying. Yeah, so it's nice of them to make it relatively easy to bring characters back, but maybe maybe I would play a a run where uh, characters I can revive characters, but but if I get a bad role, like I just have to suffer the consequences. You don't save scum uh, like I do. The problem is there's a moment where if you let something happen, you will lose access to a ton of quests. Mm-hmm. a ton of quests and a lot of characters and it kind of sucks if that happens to the point where it's just like just restart but this game has a lot of replayability to it and so it does absolutely having played through this game now i'm kind of like I'm, i i think that it would really be horrifying to have this happen but maybe it's not a bad thing necessarily uh, maybe yeah. I would just like roll with it and then keep going and seeing like what can happen because you know bad stuff happens on quests sometimes. Yeah, and it's it's almost like I we had this conversation a lot when we were playing Mass Effect for Normandy FM. This idea that people are like really obsessed with the perfect ending, the golden mm-hmm. route, the the belief that a game can have a true option that will let you save everything and not lose anything. And I I actually think that's personally for me, something I would levy against a game like mass effect three, a game that I do enjoy, I think runs into that problem where it frequently gives you the, Oh, okay. You have earned enough Paragon points and you can now cash in to say like, I get none of the downsides. Nobody, I do not have to choose. And uh, I don't always think that's interesting. That's maybe why Mass Effect 3 has, has bounced up, or Mass Effect 1 has bounced up for me in recent years. But uh, it's it's interesting in Baldur's Gate 3 when you have moments like the one in Act 2 that you're talking about where 
you could have something happen and it completely annihilates all these potential options, all these potential characters, all these things that could happen in your run. But I think the absence of them is really intriguing role playing. Like you were saying, Mm -hmm. it is a moment that you are going to remember. And I had that happen and safe scum to reload it. It's very memorable. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, I save scum to get around it. But I remember that that was like originally what would have happened if I was not save scumming that game. And that's really powerful to me. And I like that more. And I like that Larian has kind of put those tools there and, and said, like, whatever happens, whatever you choose, you want to happen. The game will accommodate and tell that story with you. So I find it kind of weird when people are like, oh, the evil run is because I'm doing an evil run right now. I'm doing an evil uh, dirge run. Are you doing the Dark Urge? You doing a dirge run? We need to talk about Dark Urge at some point. But um, it's it's really interesting seeing the other side of things and that it's yes, you probably if you go completely evil and do all the quote unquote evil choices, which in it of itself, like what is an evil choice in Baldur's Gate three? That's a complicated question. Well, I mean, if you go um, into the and start shooting up tieflings in the, uh, in the look, sanctuary, sometimes some you got to do what, things you can do in this game. You got to do what you got to do to get a drow baddie. All right. Like They're sometimes a bunch of children, some, one of them look, says he's scared of swords. Look, the the younglings, even the younglings, <laughs> are Anakin, what do we do? Die. I'm a, I'm a multi-class rogue monk, and everyone's got to catch these hands. They're e for everyone. All right. <laughs> Just like your mom. You can be quite. Your evil mom's a lovely this. lady. I'm sorry, Eric. You can be quite evil in this game. You can turn multiple characters to evil. Mm. You can have a pretty good, solid evil party. I think, which is pretty neat if you really want to. I don't think that in the end, the evil route is as maybe as well developed as a lot of people want, but I think it's more developed than most games. Like mm-hmm. they put more thought into being evil than even a game like Fallout New Vegas, where if you want to go full evil, you can just, well, well join Caesar's Legion, I guess, and kill some kill a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. In this game, you can actively not just be evil, but turn your party mm. to evil as well and have an evil party. And I like Asterian's that. Asterion's like, oh, I love this so much. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Asterion is the one so that's... so evil if you let him. Oh, my Asterian's God. <laughs> which, which is really, like, I think even more profound. It, it's almost like Undertale in that way where if you mm. do the evil run second, you're, like, more affected by it because you know that these characters could get better and instead you are actively making them worse you're the the (laughs) devil on their shoulder oh yeah yeah and it it is heartbreaking in a way because i think like certain characters like gail okay look gail's a dick eat my shoes please can kenneth shepherd if you're listening to this podcast please turn it off um gail is probably my my least favorite character i love how he's a dork that's about it I, he's he's the he's the he's the nice guy of Baldur's he's the Gate. Mag- he's got good magic, does he not? Am I playing it wrong? Well, yeah, he's yeah, like as, one of the most overpowered like a, characters. He is like, as a be. gameplay character. He's fine, and I like some of his jokes. He's got kind of a like Alistair from Dragon Age Origins vibe going on. That's that's fun. I enjoy it. But like, I there's there's something about his the way his quest plays out that I, it just. 
never clicked as much as the other characters for me. Mm. He kind of has his own Gale stuff going on all the time. <laughs> and stuff. I didn't Very do his final episode. quest because I was just so over. I was over. The, I was over Act Three, and I was over Gale. It's over Gale. It's done. Gale. Oh, his, his final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Hon- honestly. There's an ending with Gale that I kind of wish I was just like, you know, this seems like a suitable ending. I think I would kind of do it. There, <laughs> in hindsight. Yeah, that is an actual way that you can end that video game. And I've had that thought because I will tell you, I got the most depressing ending I could have got. And it was great. Really? Oh, yeah, you're going to have we'll, to DM me. You're going to have to we'll DM talk me about with it. your ending. Um, we'll talk I have about a question. The GIF character, I don't know where the hell she is. I, I don't know if I told her I to go Lazelle. away. Oh, go to the mountain oh. pass. You'll find her, I think. Oh, is she in the it, mountain pass? Okay. Did you yeah. not? So did you not recruit her after you landed on the beach? I thought I did, but I must have said something to piss her off because I just cannot find her now. And I, I actually got mm. like 20 hours into the game before I even found Gail. So I'm worried that maybe like, okay, mm. did I leave her behind somewhere? But I don't think I did. I've explored everywhere I can currently. Like, I, I think if you fail to recruit Lazelle initially... You can later get Lazel when you head to the mountain pass. So I would head to the okay. mountain pass. Uh, yeah, usually with games like this, they give you a chance to recruit like later. Uh, speaking of characters, Shadowheart really glommed on to me like real fast. Like she's got some separation issues. I tried really hard to get with Hysterion, but he says, "Oh, darling, it's not you, it's me. I have standards." And I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. Ooh. So uh, I just Shadowheart was being really nice to me. And I said, hey, you want to just like kiss? And she's like, okay, that's you weird dragonborn silver thing shining like tinfoil. <laughs> Let's do this. So, yeah. I I will say that Baldur's Gate 3 has some of the best RPG companions I've ever had in yeah. an RPG period. They are all Pantheon level companions. They're pretty much all memorable in their own way. Yes, even Will as Tryhard. As, Poor Will. Uh, they what ended a... up being. <laughs> he tries um, so, so hard. They're incredibly well acted. The animation is so good. They all feel like player characters in their own rights with their own stories. And by the end, I felt so bonded to them that when they were making their big ultimate choice about how they were going to resolve their story, usually I let them choose. Yes. Because I was like, yes. What it, don't ask me. This is your choice. There have been multiple times where they were like sobbing my arms and I've been like, they're there, they're there. I think that is one of my favorite things that this game does is there's a big moment in act two for Shadowheart. And I explicitly, I ran it the first time and did all the like checks and stuff to try and convince her. But I ran it a second time because I wanted to see what would happen if I just let her choose. And it was so much more compelling that I kept that as what I mm. did because I think this game gets really interesting when it does let you kind of sit back and let the other characters determine their own fates and you're just kind of there with them to help them on the journey and it's so interesting that the game gives you either option it, it again it's that tabletop sense it's that like someone else's character is having a moment let them have a moment and you know, maybe be there for them as a party member, but you can let them kind of do their own thing. And it makes each character feel so much more realized and, and like a person at the table and not just, Oh, here's a companion who needs you to, to solve all their problems. <laughs> like, There's a, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, I put up a moment where 
uh, all of my party members failed a nature check that like a kindergartner with a stick should have been able to pass. <laughs> and the speech is hilarious. Like Carlock, that's her name, right? The the big yeah. uh, yeah. Uh, she's just like she looks at the it's a bear, it's a stuffed bear, and she looks at it and says, "That's a big mama." <laughs> and uh, Asterion just says, Rawr. "Yeah, uh, all of Idiots. the all of the the characters that fail their nature checks on the bear are all of their dialogue lines are really really funny." It's a, um, it's, how did he fail that? My nature is supposed to be really high. Like, like it is a funny game. It is an it incredibly well written. There's there's a line of dialogue in uh act three that you can get that's not a spoiler but it's Asterian basically having a mental breakdown about how bizarre the adventure has become up to that point and it was getting shared around on tiktok and stuff and it is one of like the funniest things i've heard in a video game because the voice actor sells it the animation sells it and it's just so well written that I, I i've said it before that like comedy is kind of hard to do in a video game it is yeah and Baldur's gate 3 nails it consistent the scene in, in act one where if you open the shed and you run into the owl bear and the ogre it's i did so not open funny. that shed i was too scared i was just like oh, i'm uh nadia nadia I'm you gotta go back. You, you gotta go open that shed you gotta that, go see what's in the shed the town that that particular town is actually like really interesting to me because that was the first time i kind of bluffed my way through a fight and mm, I, mm-hmm. the, I was like, oh, cool. So I can I can do this and still get experience for it. That's a big thing mm-hmm. with uh, good versus evil roads. So, Usually if you go like good, it's like, OK, but you're sacrificing this particular uh, benefit that you'll get. Whereas in Baldur's Gate 3, it's like you, the awards are pretty equal, you- if I'm not mistaken. You'll get XP and you'll even usually get like an inspiration point, which yeah. is yeah. like yeah. they're very generous with inspiration points Thank God. In, yes. in this campaign. Thank yeah. God. Uh, Fallout has lets you it Fallout is famous because it lets you kill the final it lets you convince the final boss to kill themselves. Yeah. Baldur's Gate 3 lets you kill multiple bosses if you want just by dialogue checks. My favorite mm-hmm. is the one where you can get a, a boss to drink themselves to death. Yes. <laughs> I've done until that, they yeah. explode. <laughs> oh, that one's so good. <laughs> It's that that whole area is is so again, there are so many like areas of Baldur's Gate three that are such impressive design things that I would want to hear like a GDC vault talk about them. You know, I would love to mm-hmm. listen to Larian talk about how they designed the goblin camp because the goblin camp is like oh, one of the great. coolest the dungeon designs. And on that front, camp. Baldur's Gate three does for RPGs what Witcher three does. Or sorry, Baldur's Gate three does for dungeons what Witcher three does for side quests. Baldur's yeah, Gate 3 yeah. has some of the greatest dungeons I've ever experienced in RPG. Mm-hmm. And the thing that their secret sauce is that when you walk into them, it's not just all combat. Yeah. You are having social encounters. You are walking among them and you can do a lot of interesting stuff. They understand the power of interesting interactions and interesting decisions, even when you're in a danger area. Because you mm-hmm. feel very exposed when you are in some of these dungeons and you feel like the high level of danger. I think the goblin camp exemplifies that there are several other areas Mm. in this game as well. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You can walk in and fight literally everybody immediately and die probably uh, and probably die. But I think the gauntlet of Shar is probably one of my favorite areas in this game. I won't say too much more about it for obvious reasons, but like, the the gauntlet of Shar was the moment where I was like, Larian really understands how to lay out a level to, like you said, give the player 
tons of different options. I ended up getting a different solution. There's like one specific thing you were kind of picking up trinkets in this area and i got one in a way that no one else i've talked to has figured out how to do and i was like when i was in the review period for it i was like messaging other people who were playing it and i was like hey i did it by doing this thing and they're like you can do that that's a thing i didn't even run into that how'd you do that and like it's so interesting it's so well designed and so well laid out also it's visually impressive This is a gorgeous game. Like some of the Mm -hmm. areas that I've run through, uh, there's an Act 3 dungeon, and I think everybody who's played through Act 3 knows what I'm talking about. That is so cool, and it has the best music in the game. That's your tip-off right there. Is it potentially made of iron? Is it an iron location or no, no different? Oh, okay. Okay. I love that The iron location one, but... uh, is, a, that's a, that's a clever one. That is a, that is a clever one. No, I'm thinking, uh, it's a great set piece. Yeah. I'm thinking of a, uh, of a certain encounter with a, a major character uh, who a recurring characters from throughout the game. But, uh, oh, mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm on board yeah. with you now. It, so, it, 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 so good. Um, I loved going into that really well realized, well, really well, richly realized. If there's anything that keeps this game from being game of the year for me, despite the fact that I think Baldur's Gate 3 is a generationally great RPG. We'll be talking about it five years, five, ten years from now. Larian has said that they don't want to make an, an expansion necessarily because after level 12, the power levels start getting too crazy. And I kind of agree. Like I feel absurdly powerful mm-hmm. at level 12. I can clear whole rooms with AOE spells. I can hit like six times in a row with a uh, haste and all of that. I would like them to release a definitive edition that fills out like that fleshes out a lot of the reactivity and your choices and the characters, because I do not think the reactivity as, is as, good as it necessarily seems at times and certain characters i think get a little bit of short shrift i want to say i think i think carlac even though they gave her a new ending Mm -hmm. which i appreciate by the way does not necessarily get everything that i would have liked out of uh her and i understand like Writing a character, doing all the voice acting, all the animation, making the quests. That's a lot of work. They put a lot of work into this game. But I think there's so many opportunities to really flesh out this game, really flesh out these characters, and more importantly, flesh out the finale, which the finale is good, but it, like it's impressive. It's a great set piece. It does the whole anime thing. Uh, I was like, we're all friends together. Let's go. Like every, they even do the whole speech. I, I felt like the game narrowed to the point where there were only a couple of outcomes. And it made me feel a little bit like all of my choices didn't necessarily matter. From there. The, game. I, the thing I'm going to tell you is that it does narrow down to a set number of choices there might be more than you think is what i'll say uh but also i i i think the finale's struggle is that by the time you get there it tries to kind of throw the kitchen sink at you and like you were saying we hit level 12 and through larian's own rules which are a modified version of D rules 
even the kitchen sink cannot stop us at this point. Like it, it almost feels like a, a moment where Larian says, look at how powerful you've become, which I kind of enjoy, but also it makes a lot of those really long drawn out uh, conclusive fights feel a little bit overwrought. Like, okay, here's a bunch of yahoos with like, Oh, it's still, you've got 30 health. Big deal. Like here's my quintuple barrel eldritch blast to send you all into next week. Like that's meanwhile, I'm just level five. So I'm just kind of plinking away at things. Yeah. I, uh, I, I thought there is a moment where you basically face down a, a dozen intellect devourers. And I remember in the very beginning of the game fighting like two of them and thinking, God, like these intellect devourers are so hard. I'm dying yeah. all the time. And then I just nuked them almost instantly in one shot. And I was like, wow, okay, I have come a long way in this there, game. I feel like that was intentional. Yeah, um, there, there, there's a section where they start spawning waves of those. And I was standing near several like bottomless pits. And by that point, I like understood the system so well that all my characters were picking them up as they were coming out of these pits and throwing them back down into them <laughs> to instant kill them. And I have to imagine it just looked goofy that like Carlock was standing over this like spawning ground for intellect of hours and picking them up and chucking them back down as they were <laughs> climbing up. Uh, I had one fight where... I was fighting a major boss. We were standing on a ledge. He kept using mirror image, so I couldn't really hit him. And finally, I got mm -hmm. sick of it. Had Karlak shove him off the ledge and threw bombs at his head until he blew up and mm -hmm. died. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I mean, whatever. That's one way to take out a boss. Um, I There was another thing. This game sort of railroads you into a particular choice, I want to say. And I think that there's a major character who makes a decision based on that choice that I think uh, mm. does not feel true to their character. And yes, Larian's like going, you have to do this. And I'm like, I don't want to do any of this. And it's Larian saying, no, you gotta, unless well, you want to like do this other thing. And I'm like, we, eh, eh. I think to piece that apart, we would have to do a spoiler cast. I'm not going to rule out the spoiler cast because yeah. I will not shirk any amount of, of talking about this Nadia game. What's done with this? I, I, I'm yeah, into a spoiler cast if people, are, if people uh, want to talk about it because I feel like there's so much to unpack for every character yes. and their endings, which by the way, the endings for some of the characters, some characters get good endings and some characters are basically like they don't get anything. They don't like get anything, which is... They, yeah, depending on especially the choices you've made in Act 3, some characters might get not much of an epilogue, and even characters that I'd spent a lot of time with didn't get... So, someone in the in the chat mentioned, uh, Ruka mentioned, that uh, they kind of wish there was a Fallout epilogue, like card sort of situation. And I do, as cheesy as that is, I do kind of wish that was in there because there's a lot of even minor characters that that show up throughout your journey the tiefling characters and stuff like that that i do kind of wish there was just a little slide to be like and here's what they did later like i want to know what that tiefling bard like you know if she ever made it in the city and all that oh, kind of right stuff. yeah and i would love to have like that stuff it like, needs a up. proper fallout style epilogue you know how when you finish a fallout game it'll say like it'll have basically a animal house style yeah, so and so yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, got up to this exactly and yes. what the heck was Fire going Emblem on with the house well. of hope and i want that right? yeah they don't do that 
uh, it's all actually very fast. I think um, at the end of the day, I think that you could flesh out that ending a lot, sort of like how they did with the um, Mass Effect 3 director's cut. The good news is Larian has a long history with this, especially with um, Divinity, Original Sin 2. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm confident it's going to happen. I will say that I don't replay games too much, but I would, if they ever release a proper definitive edition that fully fleshes out the game, I will probably roll up a new party it would be fun to play all together yeah here's, for sure. here's the thing cat and here's where where i get you did you play as an as as a created character or did you play as a dark urge oh i played as a created character i don't think you should play dark urge first it's like a replayability thing i i'm telling you that you need to see what the dark urge does because it is really cool like what larian has concocted for those at home who who don't know who have listened to 40 minutes of Baldur's Gate 3 talk and, and don't know what the dark urge is you you still create a character but you have without saying too much an origin of your own that is comparable to the amount of backstory and like events that it, that happen with the other characters and i think that's something that once you see how they do that you can almost feel how it's missing when you play a creative character the way that like again i'll use mass effect as as an easy uh, as an easy example because commander shepherd you kind of pick an origin but that really just unlocks like a quest that you eventually go do but it doesn't color that much the dark urge does a lot it like really changes your playthrough and ends up creating this compelling you know how every character in that game kind of has their own internal struggle like gale is a great example of like gale has to eat all your magic boots or you know bad things will happen um you get something like that and it feels really compelling as a player to not just be helping your companions but you are also struggling with this thing and then you see how your companions react to you struggling with that thing and it becomes a much more interactive mm. like game in that sense and and people hear dark urge and they're like oh that's the evil playthrough you can play a good dark urge and i would even say that that's an extremely compelling playthrough to do because uh I, I I have a friend, friend of the show, Tatum, who played good Dark Urge or, or what people I think are largely calling Resist Dark Urge uh, as, as a playthrough and uh, said it was extremely good, like very, very, very good. Uh, so I love that they went to that to those lengths. And I think that yeah. Yeah. really makes Baldur's Gate 3 above and beyond. They had so many ideas for this game. Uh, that are just really compelling. And one of the things that I really like about this game is, for the most part, if you have an idea about, it's like, well, can I do this? Can I do that? Just how Mm -hmm. far can I go with this? The game will let you go pretty dang far. And if anything, uh, no disrespect to all of the hardworking guides people, this game is so big that a lot of the guides I found online were inaccurate because they weren't able to delve deep enough because they were on a uh, deadline uh so i see eric like rubbing his forehead as as someone who guided this game uh yeah guiding it was a nightmare because by the way eric your guide was good 
I found. Yeah, no, my guides. guy, my guide's always good. Come on now, come on. <laughs> you you want those good Zelda guides? You want those good Cyberpunk guides? You want those good Baldur's Gate three guides? I got them. You know what? I don't got sleep. But <laughs> oh, yeah, no, <laughs> um, no it's uh, uh, good. Good luck to anybody who guided this game seriously. Oh my god, it's so but, big. That was actually I was talking to someone about this recently, you know, as somebody who writes for their day job, obviously guides are a major part of that for any website. And I think the most interesting thing was that the two games I was more than happy to guide out this year were Tears of the Kingdom and Baldur's Gate 3 because there was such an open like forum for you to discover solutions that I was constantly going back to things that I had solved myself and finding new solutions and putting those in and adding those in and discovering new ways in which I could play this game. Or I would find out that I, again, there was that thing in the gauntlet of Char that I was like, I think I'm one of the only people that has figured this out that you can do this. And it was really exciting to be like, Oh, this is how I got this actually really cool and compelling solution that then opens something up later in the game, like way later. That's really, really interesting. And it's, it, it is an interesting game because of that. So yeah, like guiding is a nightmare because there's about a billion solutions to everything you do and all these different things that could affect what your game state is even going into it. But that makes it really compelling to do the work of how like, like dissecting the design and understanding how do all these cogs interlink mm. and turn and make these things happen because it gives you this new appreciation of Larian built something different here built something really compelling that i i can only hope a lot of people look at and you can't just recreate this from ground one like i imagine there's probably a suit somewhere being like you need to make us our baldur's gate 3 make our version Uh, of baldur's gate 3 and you don't make baldur's gate 3 without making divinity original sin and divinity original sin 2 and building that up and that's another entire conversation but yeah um, larian's been building to this for 10 years yeah more um and it's like if you if you let studios you know learn how to program things and thrive then they will make good games it's pretty crazy it's like when you chase trends this gets back to the bioware thing Mm. ea is always saying this is a trend chase this trend yeah what you're doing is not uh it's not mass market i don't think if bio if bioware literally pitched by baldur's gate 3 as larian ended up doing it ea probably would have turned it down saying Mm. not mass market it's turn-based you want to do a turn-based tactics game what are you a bunch like, of boomers with a bunch of conversation no no you need to make a freaking action game can we get an ultimate team in there can we make this a service game <laughs> yeah like, uh, like yeah. Baldur's gate 3 happens from that lineage tears of the kingdom happens from skyward sword all those years ago elden ring happens because of all the work on souls yeah. that happened up to that and then armored core happens because from soft has earned so much goodwill it can now make an armored core and say hey we're from soft and we're making a met game and everyone is much more interested in it than they were years ago with armored core four and five even though it's still the same game and it still slaps but uh it's again an emphasis that amid all these layoffs that we are experiencing here is Baldur's gate three an example of what happens when you make the commitment to your studio and to the people who make your games happen that like you will get good things in return if you make that promise if you make that commitment yeah it's really that CEOs won't see it that way i'm vindicated people i'm vindicated it wasn't turn-based at all 
you're wrong, Square Enix. You're wrong, EA. <laughs> turn-based is good. It's mass market. People don't give an F if it's turn-based as long as it's compelling and accessible and well done. People care about the uh, romance and they compare. They care about the sex. And by mm-hmm. God, Baldur's Gate 3 is one of the sexiest and hottest mainstream games I have ever played. I can't believe how hot this game is. Can you so. date two at once? I have like... Yes. <laughs> Okay, you so can I got shadow heart and like you, I still I'm still kind of I got that druid who was like interested in me and also, thinking of a, a Starian still. On a final He's note, hard. I did manage to get through this game only uh, only hooking up twice. And, mm. uh, I I ended up turning down every romance because I messed up the Carlac romance. Oh, and I didn't know <laughs> yeah, I until kill you. way too late. I ran out of dialogue options i'm like well when's the next well, i'm sure that there's going to be more bi- dialogue options in act three nope oh no the worst part wrong. was i met one of her friends and they were catching up and one of them goes hey uh hey uh are, are you and uh cat like you and cat carlac are you like together and she's like what no you we're best friends and i'm like oh <laughs> oh you got friend zoned cat <laughs> i got friend zoned by carlac <laughs> However, I got such a I got a good enough ending with Carlac that made me want to run through a brick wall that I'm like, all is forgiven. And Mm -hmm. at the end, we came all the way back and she did say that she loved me. So even though we never we never had sex, but she does love me. So it's okay. Look, those credits roll and you don't know what's happening after that. All right. At least it's no longer the the picture of the blind flare that they used. Uh, they added the Carlac ending after the fact, and I gotta say, really good, really, really good. Mm-hmm. And Baldur's Gate three, really, really, really good. I'm sure that we'll be talking a lot more about it during the uh, end of the year discussion. But it's clear to me that this is a generationally great game. It's brought Larian to a new level. Uh, yeah. There's no doubt in my mind that when Larian's Larian's next thing is going to bring a lot of attention, a lot of eyeballs. And I mm-hmm. think Baldur's Gate 3 symbolizes everything that can be good in the video game industry, and it is worth celebrating. Any final yes. thoughts before we move on, Eric and or Nadia? Uh, let's finish a podcast so I can play some more. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I can't agree. Uh, I, I can't agree more with you, Kat, that like this is not just an incredible game of this year, but a inspirationally good game mm-hmm. that is both something to admire from an RPG and a gameplay standpoint and also something to admire from the standpoint of how it was made, how it came about and the trust that was put into a crew and a studio to make this thing happen and to believe in, in what a team can do and support them in that endeavor. So shout outs to Baldur's Gate three shout outs to Larian. I know y'all don't want to make an expansion, but if y'all want to just do like a little one shot, you know, do a little, do a little one shot, like a Dragon a Age guy. Origins Awakening over here, you know, like, like just a little thing, a little extra thing. Just a little thing. Yeah, a little, little thing. problem. A little thing. A little. All right. You want to talk more about Baldur's Gate 3? Hey, there's a thread going on in the Discord. I've been hanging out a lot, having a lot of great conversations about Baldur's Gate 3. It's still popping off. We have a lot of conversations about RPGs in general. So if you subscribe to the Patreon for just $1, you'll get this show ad-free and you can join in in all of our conversations. Okay, it's time now for a series of random encounters. 
Cyberpunk 2077 is getting a live-action adaptation while sales top 25 million. But CD Projekt devs are unionizing after multiple rounds of layoffs. Lots of layoffs happening. Yeah. Right now, speaking of layoffs, all Dragon Age QA staffers who unionize laid off. And it's, it's pretty brutal out there, I'm sorry to mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. uh, Nintendo is shutting down online play in 3DS and Wii U starting in April 2024. Dean Carter, co-creator of Fable, has released a new Ultima roguelike called Moonring for free. And they said, life is hard. COVID sucked. Everyone's poor and stressed. I don't need the $300 this would make me. I'd rather take the goodwill. So go check that out. I think oh, that's, that's nice. a good gift to RPG fans. Activision Blizzard deal from Xbox is expected to close this coming Friday. And Square Enix has shocked the world by saying that it was actually Kate Sith all along. It is not. I'm sorry. Even though it's the just... Japanese says Ketchi. Lol. Yeah. Ketchi, this is offensive to my Irish blood. It's just, uh, don't do that. It's The funny thing is, is that I think Ketchi is in 14 and he's Ketchi. Like, everywhere yeah. else in Square has a stupid cat. It's Ketchi. So I don't know what they're up to. So they're someone... just being lazy. <laughs> Someone posted that they were like, I wonder if this is because the localization team has already recorded hours and hours of voice dialogue under the impression that it was Kate Sith and they just really don't want to retcon and walk that one back or like expend the money. And I, I wonder, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I want to imagine is true. That's what I want to think has happened. I wonder so if it's one of those things where Square Enix says, OK, like we all played Final Fantasy seven. We were young and dumb. And we saw Ketchy and we said, oh, Kate Sith. It's almost like nostalgic for us now. So I wonder if Square is almost like cashing in on that nostalgia saying, well, you know, when you were a kid, it was Kate Sith. So guess what? It's still Kate Sith. I think the bummer now is someone was posting that if you Google that phrase, like the the actual intentional, I believe, Gaelic phrase, uh, the SEO and the Google auto discover or whatever now brings up Square Enix's pronunciation, which is kind of a bummer that it's like, if you're going to use those pronunciations and those ideas of these characters, which Final Fantasy does a lot of, you know, it's you've got characters like Shiva in there. And yeah, if you're going to do that, it would kind of be nice to have some level of regard for the actual like heritage and culture that you are pulling from for your video yeah, games. So I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed in this for sure. Big disappointment. How dare you, Square Enix? How dare you? I'd say that it offends my Irish blood, except that I discovered this week that I'm not actually Irish. <laughs> what are you? <laughs> I'm Scottish. Really? Yeah. Cool. I thought I was Irish this entire time. I mean, <laughs> last name Bailey and all that. No, Scottish. Oh, I have a DNA kit here. I haven't even, I haven't, I did find out my blood type though and be positive. Wow. So, cool. Yeah. 8% of the world is be positive. Y'all just, everybody's testing their blood. It's it's blood oh. test autumn, everybody. Well, my dad is obsessed with Ancestry.com right now. Mm, it's not a okay. sponsor of Acts of the Blood God. And so he regaled me with uh, the long lineage of Baileys going back to the 16th century in Scotland, wow. apparently. I Alexander no Bailey of Edinburgh. So <laughs> Cool. I have no yeah. idea. It's just... It's kind of, know, kind of rules, actually. So... So it's time now to roll up to the tavern, sit down by the fire, talk about what we've been playing, what we've been watching, and everything. Nadia, what have you been up to? Uh, actually, 
Final Fantasy XIV had 6.5 come out, which is uh, one of the last mm. patches before the uh, Dawn, I keep wanting to call it Dawn Treader, the Dawn Trail uh, expansion, which is coming out next year. And I, Eric, have you finished the the raid at all? Because it was so good. I finished the raid series. Uh, I have not finished the actual MSQ content yet. I'm like sitting at the dungeon. I started like bouncing around because I wanted to go like gear up my sage so I could potentially oh, run do that, the dungeon yeah. as sage instead of dragoon. And it's it's a whole thing. I've been playing a lot of PvP too because the PvP gear this season is sick. So yeah, Victor's playing a lot of PvP. Hey! But uh, basically, they finished the story. Uh, very, very Final Fantasy IV. So, of course, I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. Let's go, let's go, let's go. But uh, they finished Myths of the Realm, which is a raid series based around the pantheon of Final Fantasy XIV. And this is a pantheon. I really, to me, the pantheon feels more like 1.0 content. I never paid much attention to it except for Memphina, who was the patron of, of my character. And by the end of Myths of the Realm, I was just crying. It was so, so amazing and the thing i loved about the message i kind of give you at the end is not like as someone who's agnostic as well as jewish i get kind of tired of of like you know oh religion is for babies is stupid you know i was really worried you're going to pull a twist like oh the power was in you all along and you know you you never really needed to believe in the gods but they don't go that route and i'm, I'm really happy about that i'm happy where, where they take it mm-hmm. music's been incredible this whole oh yeah ex- i don't know what the hell soaking's on but jesus christ yeah uh, yeah so it was great uh zero is really goddamn hot Zero is for everyone, as Eric Van Allen once said. And I think that's actually a, a, a great line because it's so true. Zero is for everyone. Everyone. D- did you hear about there was a glitch on Thornton where um, yes. for some reason, th- this is hilarious. You don't even need to play Final Fantasy XIV to think this is the funniest thing ever. There was a glitch where people were getting random buffs and debuffs based on absolutely nothing. Like their mm-hmm. characters are just like getting buffs that they can't use or buffs that make them cast a billion spells in a row. Uh, there was a great one where the dancer who's supposed to have like, what is it? I don't play dancer, but it's supposed to have like four text final steps. final step or finishing step or something like that. Uh, my my dancer's only like level 70 something. So it's I'm not that deep into dancer, but you're supposed to. OK, but you're only supposed to have like four steps like queued up or something like that. And for some reason, this glitch made it so you could have like hundreds of steps without cooldown. Yeah. So yeah. it's like the the, the freaking dancers are just kind of river dancing all over Thornton because there's no cooldown. Like, well, OK, go for it. <laughs> apparently there's also a, a, a i saw a screenshot of a machinist with a quick cast so you're just like hey everyone buy a blaster and drill at the same time why the hell not that was just uh, that was killing me when i saw the screenshots yeah it's some sort of thing with how they're trying to manage the the buffs and debuffs in 14 which has always kind of been a hot button topic for the higher end players yeah uh has busted in one specific area and now it is just stack overflowing these like buffs and debuffs onto players in a way that is really really fun to watch and and see people tackle and i've kind of wanted to run the fight because it it just looks goofy everyone's like all right doing my first ultimate raid now because yeah it looks absolutely nuts it's just i'm picturing i I don't know if you've ever seen that looney tunes cartoon where porky pig is like has to cursed uh, shoes and he has to dance himself to death because he fucks around with the fairies. Yes. The yeah. Leprechauns. yeah. It was like that. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> great, great stuff. I uh, spent, I, I'm not joking when I say that I spent the last like two, two, three weeks uh, since I've been off uh, playing Baldur's Gate 3 almost exclusively. Mm-hmm. It is a, it's a big game. My clock says that I put 75 hours into this game. I think that's a lie. Yeah, I'm going to put mm. way more than that. 
I, I, I feel like I put it like 150 hours into it just based on how much um, I played. I reloaded a lot. Yeah. Um, not because of safe scumming, because some of the encounters are just really hard. There are some nasty ones in there that are difficult to manage and required me to reload a ton. I was played a lot on my Steam Deck. I played a lot on Steam. Uh, one one trick, Nadia. If you get into dialogue with an enemy, you can sometimes cheese it by going to a different character. And so the enemies will be locked into dialogue with you and you can just set up as you please. So I would have a moment where like, I would start the dialogue and then I would just carefully set everybody up on like the rafters and like getting them all. I was like, okay. I get just and then just the launch goblins. a fireball right into the middle of them while they're talking to I'm me. Like, Wait, what are you up to? <laughs> mm-hmm. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Ah. So, um, so now I'm done with Baldur's Gate 3. I'm taking a break. I'm not just starting a new character right away. I'm, I need to figure out what I'm doing next. I think I'm going to... I'm going to finish Tears of the Kingdom this yeah. weekend. Yes. Yes. Such a good happening. game. Mm-hmm. I, I'm at the end. I think I can just knock it out like on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to finish Starfield because I wasn't in love with it when I was playing it. Uh, going through the entire faction quest with the rain, the free star collective or whatever bummed me out with how bad, how poorly written the ending was. But I'm just going to get through the main quest so that I can say, like, okay, I, I know what I'm doing. I'd like to play more Sea of Stars, and I'd like to play Cyberpunk because uh, Phantom Liberty uh, came out, and it seems to be getting um, pre- pretty favorable reviews. People seem into it. It's uh, very is good. Is that true, Eric? Is it good? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we we talked about this the other week, but it's very, it's very good, and I think Cyberpunk is much closer to what it is could have been at launch uh it feels like they have built back up to the point where like that that experience is now felt across all parts of cyberpunk the tech tree is much more interesting your your builds kind of mean something a little bit more and a lot of the interactions even the hacking and stuff like that feels a lot the the 2.0 update is as impactful as actual phantom liberty uh phantom liberty is a good story uh i kind of talked about some of my own hang-ups with it but uh, it's a good story. It's a good expansion worthy of being considered in the CD project red, like canon of great DLC, but like the 2.0 update really just gets cyberpunk to that point where now CDPR can kind of be like, okay, cool done. It, we, we, we got it back to where we wanted it to be, where we can feel good about walking away from it and working on project Orion, I think is the name of their next cyberpunk game. Mm-hmm. In the interest of full disclosure, I've been laid up for the past few weeks and basically not able to really leave the house, which gave me a lot of time mm-hmm. to uh, play video games while I was recovering and also watch uh, shows. I watched season one of The Bear. Great show. Great Good show. show. Good show. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. excited to see season two. Uh, season one of The Bear is gorgeous. What a beautiful, beautiful cinematography. I am mm-hmm. on the final season of Better Call Saul now. Uh, mm. So I'm finally going to wrap that one up after like years of watching. I watched all of uh, Poker Face. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. So, uh, so good. Really, really good. Did, did you have a favorite episode, Eric? Uh, the one that always comes to mind for me is I, I, 
I like the movie star stuff. Like I love the aging movie star. I love that about episode Eve, too. Sunset Boulevard. Um, so yeah, that one really hit. That one really worked for me. Yeah, it was really. They're all. A lot of them are really, really good. Um, in their in their own way. But yeah, go check out Poker Face. Um, if you haven't, I know that um, our flag means death. Season two is out. The gayest mm-hmm. of pirates. I was wondering mm-hmm. if I should watch that, but I don't know if I'm tired of pirates or not. Uh, I think you should watch it, Nadia. I think you'd really enjoy it. That's big, big uh, Taika Waititi energy. And then um, I started watching, I watched two episodes of um, the documentary about the history of the Minnesota Vikings by Secret Base. Which yeah. is a YouTube channel. And I, I know a lot about the Minnesota Vikings and a lot about their history. And I learned, I've learned so much in like just the first couple episodes it's really really impressive and i love the bulletin board system they they show footage but they don't rely on footage they're like posting newspaper clippings and that kind of thing telling all kinds of illuminating stories uh their diagrams of the actual games are even if you don't like fo- like my partner was watching with me she doesn't care about football even she was into it so that's it how sounds good like it something is. that'd be really interesting or, to do i i just think it's funny that we're both followed by the what is it the minnesota vikings blog or something like that yeah, like the hi. daily norseman <laughs> yeah th- th- that's yeah. a big ass tweet like account i'm like oh cool i don't know anything about football but i think it's cool you follow us and you're obviously a fan hi uh cat if if this is your first introduction to secret base and or john boys you need to go deeper down the rabbit hole because Mm -hmm. that's that's a good rabbit hole uh i got some youtube recs i can send you later um yeah well i i need it because i'm doing physical therapy and watching a lot of shows uh in the process so it's Mm -hmm. good media Mm -hmm. time i think speaking of media time uh my minnesota twins did defeat the toronto blue jays in the wild card (laughs) that's so bad the cat nadia showdown we were like we got to make this content we're like oh this is gonna be content like thanks blue jays screwed (laughs) it all up i was waiting i was waiting to have my heart broken or something and instead i was like oh we would cool uh sometimes like my favorite thing was watching baseball with my dad because he just like I, I just remember like someone someone on the Jays would pop up and like miss the someone pop up the Jays completely missed the catching the ball, and my dad would say there that's why they're paid the millions and it just really stuck with me. <laughs> I I have a lot. Of, uh, I don't talk about the Twins as much, but before I was a soccer fan, I was I would say that I was mainly a baseball fan. And uh, 2002 was not a great summer for me, but I did go to a lot of Twins games. Mm-hmm. that year and watched Tori Hunter and everything and hearing them say this is the first twins win uh playoff win since 2004 let's some God. show some grainy footage from this ancient history I'm like hey, hey chill out I was in college I remember when that happened oh god no one of my favorite things there's a I can't remember when the Leafs uh that's right they 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 broke the curse last year and uh every time the Leafs get somewhere I always put like the last time the Leafs were here. Here's the video games that were released. It was like Half Life Two and you know Secret of Mana and all this like ancient shit. Uh, the Minnesota Twins now play the Houston Astros. There's a fairly large Texas contingent who Astro- support the Astros oh. on um, on the Axe of the Blood God uh, Discord, um, including Abby of the Moon, who's one of our uh, stars of Destiny. And I just want to say, uh, uh, worst of luck. To the Astros, Abby, I hope the Twins uh, beat your team like a drum 
or like a trash can, I suppose. Like it, I, but before the show, <laughs> you guys were telling me about the cheating thing, and that was the funniest thing I've heard all day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Banging a trash can. Why are you banging a trash can? No reason. I, we're playing with house money at this point. We might just get swept, and it'll be like, okay, whatever. But right now, I'm feeling all right. It's, it's nice to get a little win. That's a little, little cat sports happiness here. Uh, Eric, looks like you uh, got to the Kingdom of Zeal. That's a big one. That's oh, an awesome all-timer. Yeah. Oh, so if, if y'all have not been watching, uh, the time trials have resumed, and there will be one more. Uh, as as of when this gets published on the main feed, uh, there will be two more, but uh, there have been more excursions into Chrono Trigger. So yes, uh, I did all the stuff in the BC realm where you, you try to chase after Magus and you learn where Lavos originally came from the origin of Lavos and also how the dinosaurs died. Apparently. Yeah. apparently. (laughs) And then, uh, the moment where you enter that gate and you really don't know what's going to happen next and you exit and you're in this frozen ice age and the thing in the bottom left corner pops up and says like 12,000 BC. So you know that you have let forward so many years because you just came from 65 million or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, And I was like, oh, oh, geez. Oh, oh, this is bad. And then I'm kind of walking around and I go find that that little just podium and hits like skybridge or something mm-hmm. i'm like what is this and it just zips me up and i am in studio ghibli's castle in the sky <laughs> <laughs> and there's dudes doing magic up there and there's all the little mazamune yeah they're hanging out telling stories and zipping around and i'm opening books that have fire in them to to find secret passages and how does this game keep doing it? How does this game keep Have pulling this Have you done the off? Ocean Palace yet? No. Oh, so God. I got, I got up to the point where uh, I fought a boss and lost. And then some no, bad Dalton. dude with, with, a, with a hood was like, Scala, uh, Scala, throw them in the gate and close the gates. But now I have this mammon machine powered pendant and i'm like oh there are all those doors that i couldn't open throughout this whole game that now i can suddenly open and i'm just like oh there's so much that i want to go do now i want to go mess around with um it kind of feels like i it's funny at the beginning of the stream i kind of set the stage because it'd been a while i'd been off the stream for a bit and i was like okay you know i'm i'm digging the characters i'm digging the vibes but I don't know where the story is going. It feels like we just have this big bad that we know that we have to kill at some point to save like the past, present and future. But I don't really get where they're coming from or why this is happening. And there's kind of all these dangling threads that the game keeps hinting at. And now it feels like they're starting to pull back on that a little bit and reveal. And I think the really cool part is, you you get to see in different pieces how this entire history of the world has happened. And I, I, I might end up blogging this, but there's something really cool about the way that Chrono Trigger tells you about this world state and this timeline. This essential timeline has got all the way from 65 million BC to like the far, far un like calendared future of everything that's happened to this planet. And because you have the ability to use the gates and time travel through all of it, 
you get to see that progression, but it's told out of order and you get to see them yeah. in all kind of different ways that you are unravel. It's it feels like a mystery game where you're kind of unraveling this thread as you go and trying to understand how all these things came to pass, why this character is here and why this character knows about this thing that they probably shouldn't know about and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's really, really fascinating the way they they do zeal is just such a great set piece like you're yeah. going from you're like oh shit i'm in the ice age here's a bunch of cavemen what is this sky bridge oh my god there is some real shit it, happening here i feel like i even have more questions about zeal than i have answers right now because there are characters talking about like oh you have magic but yours feels yours different than ours yeah, yeah and and they there's there's very much like a hint of this is a utopian paradise built on some dark secret that I've I mean, there's already one dark secret in that the whole thing is they built an oil rig on top of Lavos yeah. <laughs> trying to mine him for energy. But it feels like there's still some things I want to uh, uncover there. And obviously with like Scala and some of the other characters there, I'm curious about how they end up playing into the story and, and what they end up doing and then. I still don't know where Magus is. That dude just zipped off into time. And and I'm just, yeah. I, oh, it's it's really, I really cool. Shala's theme. Like, that's one of my favorite themes in a video game. It's just mm-hmm. uh, gorgeous. And I love that it actually has a really fantastic remix in uh, uh, Chrono Cross. But uh, Zeal is a character I like very much. Like, she's just, she's a villain. She's bad. Uh, she's There's no redemption I don't know, for her. Well, I, I don't know if I've met zeal unless you're talking about the queen the queen yeah okay yeah i've only seen the queen once at this point when i try to like go into the chambers and be like hey there's y'all are building an oil rig on top of lavos that's a bad idea and they're like just stop this we want the oil rig i just (laughs) love how how powerless you feel in zeal it's not like a hostile place at least not until you get the castle it's just got Mm -hmm. this weird pall of darkness and, and oppression over it and you are welcome but only just barely and not for long Eric, someone yeah. wants to know if you have a favorite character. Oh, um, it's really t- so. My my team that I've been rolling with on the stream lately, though, I've been trying to change it up. Was the uh, the Goofy Boys, and that was uh, Chrono, Robo, and Frog. And that's I really good, like that's that. That's a good team. I really, I really like the boys rolling around. Uh, but I have been switching it up a little bit. Uh, I was trying to get Marl involved because I had not used Marl much. Marl is kind of good healing. She's good healing but even then like to be really good healing at least so far i I probably just need to get her more tp and that's the problem i do like luca i want to get luca back into the party ayla's in specific fights ayla was doing like frog is probably my biggest damage dealer on the team but ayla during some of those bc fights was just tearing through enemies she gets falcon hit which is a great aoe uh i had a small tip for you eric by the way Mm -hmm. um now that you have the pendant, you can unseal, say, a box to see in the inn in like the present day or the past and then go forward and collect it. And you will have you will get a more powerful item that way if you do that. Oh, yeah. So there was um there are a few things I've kind of like mentally marked down to go back to because in zeal, they kept talking about this thing that was like, oh, these stones that can gather things over time. And I picked up oh, I, I like stones, opened. Yeah. 
I opened one of the doors and got like a black stone. I don't know what that it just says it unlocks like a triple tech and I don't know like how or under oh, what conditions or what. Yeah. So I need to explore that a little bit. Um, I also, yeah, there there's some doors that I'm probably just going to I don't know if I'll do this on stream. I mean, y'all probably want to see me do it on stream, so I'll probably do it on stream. But I kind of want to go back to some areas that I know had either those doors or there were also like chests that I remember. I don't know if those open with the pendant either. Yeah, they do. But I kind of I want to go back to those areas and see what happens there and and figure some of the, that stuff out. So that is probably my next stream is just door hunting. There's also <laughs> a, a pyramid of sorts near where Magus's castle was. And don't tell me too much. Don't tell me. Calm down, Nadia. Is, oh, just ooh. saying you don't want to miss it. So let, this, this pretty big. Let, let, this, a, let this evolve speaking of magus's tower isn't that a great dungeon oh it's a terrific yeah we were dungeon. talking about that last it's, time so it's much an all-timer so much fun uh-huh. <laughs> freaking yeah. great great boss fights um the the section where you're doing like a donkey kong up the side of the, yes. the castle <laughs> is really fun um yeah it's it's quite good i this it's not groundbreaking to say that like oh hey chrono trigger it's actually pretty good i feel like every time i talk about this game i'm like oh yeah y'all were right congratulations you were correct this is this is a very good video game uh and i understand why people hold it in such reverence yeah um i think it's just really interesting to dissect how it does that and also in ways that even today can feel maybe not revolutionary but certainly impactful I'm For glad sure. that you're enjoying yourself because if you were like going, eh, it's just okay, I would have had to fire you for real. Yeah, you would have been fired. I've, I've had, I will not name names, but I had a conversation with someone recently about retro RPGs and they had said something like they probably feel dated by today's standards. And while I might agree that some games would feel that way, I do think that Chrono Trigger is one that has withstood the test of time that feels very interesting even today even just the pacing the way that game moves is so much more we, we need this expedient it needs to come on the switch is what you're saying and i agree oh it i don't understand i was also looking at because so symphony of the night is another game that i've, oh, I've only played like that game not make it to switch it's so weird I've, I've played like an hour of symphony of the night in the past it's like the most i've played of it but i was looking at it for the pantheon i was like how am i going to play this thing and it's not on switch no, it's on everything but switch it drives me up the wall do, do companies just dis like i genuinely mean this when i say you don't need to do anything to that game you can just yeah port it and like put in the whatever like thousand dollars that that is ultimately a drop in the bucket for your yearly game budget and get a team on it and just make it work and function on a switch and release it and just reap in profit i don't understand i i like there are some games where i'm like oh you know maybe there's not a cost benefit and you know they really aren't going to make that much money back but there are a few games like chrono trigger and symphony of the night where i'm like i there's no way that you can't make money on this i buy them both (laughs) day one like there's everyone wants this why are you not doing this there must be some exclusivity it's weird that chrono cross is on the switch but not chrono trigger yeah what the hell yeah yeah there's got to be something going on. I, I, I am I'm actually debating. So I know I had said FF6 is also on my short list for another stream game. But now part of me is going like, what if I play Chrono Cross? What if I did that on stream? Hmm. Hmm. Mm. Mm. Uh, I also for a new game, I played some of that Moon Ring that we talked about. What do you think? Uh, 
boy, that is a love letter to Ultima in a way that <laughs> even I, who have not played really any Ultima to speak of, was sitting there. I was like, this is some Ultima ass Ultima. Uh, <laughs> In a really, really good way. It's it is very loving, it is very throwbacky, it is very unforgiving in some ways, but also very modernized in other ways. Uh so like if you enter a dungeon, it will drop a like save. And if you die in the dungeon, you just reload the save at the dungeon. It's not permadeath in that sense. Um it's it's very much a throwback to the what I like to call the the bump and grind uh RPGs oh, like where you where you bump into stuff to attack and then yeah. you, you grind to level up your character, the bump and grind. Um, I think the most interesting thing to me outside just the general aesthetic and the look, which you can take one look at images of moon ring and be like, Oh, this is my shit mm. <laughs> is that uh, there's the world they have constructed is super interesting. Uh, so the whole idea is that the world was plunged into darkness and then the dreamers awoke and those kind of created livelihoods for people. And so everyone kind of falls under various deities, uh, mm. different dreamers, but you are a dreamless. You have not been visited by a dreamer and the dreamless are this different cast of society, which can be looked kindly upon or badly upon depending on who you're talking to but also there is the archon who is like this kind of mediator for all the gods who is who has to be dreamless and he is looking for a successor and so that is kind of your initiative to set out on your journey is to find the archon and understand more about who you are and what you are um but just the world's really cool and the way they do dialogue is you just type in keywords so say you're talking to a character and you want to learn about where a town is you could be like town or you could type the name of the town and they'll respond to you in kind and then as they're talking to you keywords will highlight and your character will actually remember them and they'll kind of float around their uh, around your head if you haven't asked them yet so it's like very easy to do dialogue in a way that feels like you're typing and entering dialogue and having a conversation but it's also not the most like aggressive egregious frictional experience that it could be uh it's I, I think if you've ever wanted to try one of these classic style games, it's worth checking out because you're going to find a lot of very modern ideas that smooth out some of the old roughness for you. Mm -hmm. um, but it is really, really cool. And I think one of the more interesting it's like up there with Void Stranger in terms of one of the more compelling and interesting ideas I've seen in any game this year uh, and, and one that I definitely want to keep chewing away at. Sweet. Well, all right. That's it for the tavern. Nadia, take us home. So thanks to Facebook, which I'm still long time stupid. Uh, I was looking at my memories and seven years ago, I don't know if you remember this cat, but I went to the Nintendo World Championships in NYC and wrote it up for US Gamer. And that was actually a really good article. Uh, again, one of the ones that I, I have to rescue it. I'm pretty sure it's on VG247. But it was such an interesting experience for me because what it was, basically Nintendo uh, had a, a contest that resembled like the Nintendo World Championships from the 80s. And uh, you were a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of age groups, a whole bunch of skill level uh, people were playing all these games. They had no idea what they were going to play. And some of them were very like, okay, here's, uh, here's a challenge from... Breath of the Wild, you have to you have to shield surf. I remember someone, everyone was shield surfing and someone hit a moose and everyone was just like, moose! And that was pretty good. 
But then they'd be like, okay, now you're playing this game. That'd be some obscure thing from Nintendo's history and the most obscure game that was there. And thank you for the uh, the link there, Kat. And you can see it in the, title, in, the, in the title graphic that I made. It was Bird and Beans. Apparently that was a Nintendo DSiWare game that was like, Nobody knew what the hell it was, but it was a very fun little sort of distraction. And that was just kind of fun to see people get through that. But what really got me for that whole thing was the kids trying to play Game Boy Tetris. They were just stumped. And I mean, I'm sure they can play regular. They can play Tetris. Anyone can play Tetris. Everyone has played Tetris. That makes it a really phenomenal, interesting game. But the unforgiving nature of Game Boy Tetris just really stumped them. And, and to the point that I was riding down on the elevator when everything was done. You had like this, this car full of sad kids. And I'm just like, ah, Tetris did do in, eh? And <laughs> he just glared at me. You can't infinite flip and you can't do nope. the pushing down really fast. It's no. fairly simple in that respect. Um, boomer Tetris, man, that's where it's at. I have a friend who has an OG Game Boy pocket that they carry around. With a oh, copy beautiful. of Tetris, uh, they used to work in a kitchen, so they would like keep it in their back pocket and oh, I feel that. whip it out and play. And um, I, uh, so we were like going back and forth playing OG Tetris. And I remember once upon a time, I was good enough to consistently get the spaceship. Uh, taken yeah, off. my mom always got that. She, yeah, she always I, did level nine high five. Well, I, I'm out by level 11 now. I can't, I can't get I can't Tetris. I was never a good Tetris player. Uh, as Zubats points out, uh, old Tetris, no block storing. Yeah, you, uh, that's a big one too. And uh, I remember also, uh, just because I had the day there, so I when this thing was done, I took a walk through Times Square at night because I love doing that. And that was, uh, I was playing Pokemon Go and I was at Times Square. So I'm getting all these really cool Pokestops you're not going to get anywhere else in the world, obviously. And I got a, a Magnemite. I just named it Times Coon because I was just like, how do I remember this thing it was from New York? And I, that was also the time I noticed that New York has these mysterious yellow puddles. They're not pee. They're very greasy looking. What are they, New Yorkers? Please tell me. Thank you. Dear God. Yeah. I'm just like, what is this puddle? It's dry out. What is this greasy puddle of yellow Pizza matter? Grease. Should I drink it? No, no. I don't think I should drink the yellow puddle, but it's... Uh, uh, it reminds me of how there's someone on Twitter, I can't remember who it is, but there's this black ooze in their station, and every year it comes back. It's like, oh, the black ooze is back, it's springtime, and no one knows what the ooze is. It's just a New York subway station deity or something. You. I mean, it's like in Baldur's Gate 3, where you go into the sewers and there's a grease monster. Uh, I yeah. hate the grease. Anything to do with grease in that stupid mm. game. Mm-hmm. I had a Dude point where like, out with the grease monster and he's just like talking to it and the grease monster periodically goes blah, 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 blah. And you're just like, Ugh, I gotta blah, throw get it up. away from me. I love how my, my party is lying prone on the grease like as a speech suntanning <laughs> their stupid asses. Oh, this is great. <laughs> the number of times, there was one major boss that I got him to slip and then the ice melt, and so I just kept striking him with lightning while holding him in place with a whirlwind, and he was just laying there on the ground, uh, unable to move. I felt pretty bad for him, actually. I was like, uh, oh, have mercy on this fairly major boss. And me, I'd just be like, oh, I'm going to put an arrow in his dingus, see what happens. I will never get tired, though, of watching very powerful enemies just slip and fall on their ass. 
It is pretty funny. I did have a moment where uh, Asterion had like a 2% chance of pushing this gith off a ladder. I'm like, I'm going to try it anyway. So noodle arm vampire boy just pushes this big ass fucking monster off the ladder. And I'm just like, that's really funny. That's that's pretty great. (laughs) What a game. And that's it for this week's episode of Acts of the Blood God. Thank you so much listening for listening. It's great to be back. And yes. we will be heading into the post-show in the next segment with all of our stars of destiny. And this week we were joined by Amy Anthrax Bees, Cave Full of Zubats, to <laughs> Harvest Lunatech, Cal Al, Mango Bolt, Mango Alts, MX Beta, Sardin, Teep Squawk, Witch Stalker, and Robo Riley was here a little bit earlier. Thank you so much for joining us. If you want to contribute to Acts of the Blood God, remember, you can get access to the show ad-free for just $1, or and also you'll be able to get on the Discord, and there's tons of bonus content as well. We'll be back next week, as always, to talk more about the genre we love. But until then, for Nadia, Eric, myself, thanks for listening. Happy adventure. You're weak. You're a hack. You're whack.